You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined by MLB.com National Content Editor Matt Myers. Today is Friday, March 17th, 2023. There's actually a lot to talk about. We're, of course, going to talk about the World Baseball Classic. We are unfortunately going to talk about how Edwin Diaz is injured. But there's a couple other things to get into. What are the Mets going to do now? Which losing team is going to get to the playoffs? And I promise you it's going to happen. It's really interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about a new skill that we're measuring that baseball savant with stack cast numbers in terms of catchers blocking. And uh, we're going to get into how steals are way up this spring and whether we think the new rule changes are going to incite that going forward into the regular season. Matt, I want to start real quick. There are five World Baseball Classic games in the next five days. So as we sit here, it's Friday afternoon in the East Coast. There's a game tonight. Uh, there is one game per day for each of the next five days, and they are all winner take all. It's not like best of anything. It's not rounds. You got Puerto Rico and Mexico tonight, USA, Venezuela tomorrow, and then you have the final three games. Like I didn't realize this until I looked into it like 20 minutes ago because I wanted to talk about it, that it was really like there is one game per night, 7 o'clock Eastern each night on a Fox network from Miami with really interesting teams. And as as much as I've enjoyed the classic, I haven't been able to watch as much of it as I wanted to because some of the times were inconvenient or I was traveling. But like for everyone who's watching March Madness right now, this is my March Madness. Like I'm excited to watch one of these every night for the next five nights. It's going to be a blast. For sure. And I think the games in Japan and Taiwan where when the home team was playing, it was intense. The game when the home team was not involved in the Far East, the atmosphere was not quite there, but when the home team was playing, it was incredible. And then the games in the United States, it's kind of been the same, especially anytime the US, Mexico, Puerto Rico, or the Dominican, or Venezuela has played. The atmosphere has been incredible. You don't even need to listen to us say it, right? Like you hear the players and they're talking about how much fun it is and how great it is and how awesome the atmosphere is. And it's like sad and disappointing as the Edwin Diaz injury is like I don't think it changes that like you see you know I think I saw this just before we went on the podcast that apparently 60 percent of TVs in Puerto Rico were watching the game the other night and 61%. there's this huge disconnect where Americans by and large not all don't care about it as much as other countries and like that's okay but like we can't ignore the fact that this is a really big deal for a lot of countries and like that's part of what makes the event great you read the other day that when um, Cuba plays on Sunday against the winner of U.S. and Venezuela, uh, and I didn't independently fact check this, so I'm reading it from another site where I can't remember who it was. It will be the first time the Cuban national team has ever played in Florida, which I think is going to be kind of a kind of a cool moment. And some of these teams that are here, um, they are coming to Miami. You know, maybe they played in Phoenix like the U.S. team. Maybe they played in the Far East. So we're getting new teams in Miami. It's not like the same teams we'd seen in the previous round. But since you brought it up, Edwin Diaz got hurt, which is a tremendous bummer. Now, it's not the first time we've seen a celebration-related injury. I know the first name I thought of was Kendris Morales, who did the same thing about 10 years ago. And I I was blissfully off of Twitter yesterday. And um, from what I could tell, the takes about this, you could have like lit up the entire Eastern Seaboard just with the power of these hot takes. Cancel the WBC. No one should play for a team that's not paying them and all this kind of stuff. If if the guys didn't care to be there, would Shohei Otani be there, right? Who is going to make, I don't know, $500 million next year in free agency? Julio Urias is going to be a free agent. E- even Diaz himself is like, I I was happy to be there and represent. 
my nation. Uh, Jeremy Pena from the Astros uh, said, and I quote, a lot of people are saying it's meaningless, but to us, it's an honor to represent our country. Diaz's injury is unfortunate, but for me, if I get the opportunity to do it again, I'll definitely do it again. And I I get if you're a Mets fan, you're pretty crushed right now because this is a huge blow to your season. We'll get into the Mets a little bit later. So like, I, I get that. Totally bummed. But if you're not a Mets fan, to say, oh, the WBC shouldn't happen, it's bad for baseball, it's just so, I don't know, self-centered. Like You're looking at it from an America-only point of view when you've got this entire worldwide baseball community that is extremely excited about this. You know, like It, it bothers me to some extent when you see this fluke thing. That sucks. Like There's no doubt about it. It's bad for everybody involved. Uh, and say, well, that's why we should never do this thing again when it's like growing in worldwide importance. Like the the reaction to it is almost as much of a bummer as the actual injury itself. Our, our former MLB.com colleague, uh, Brittany Giroli, who now writes for The Athletic, had a really good piece today about this where basically she said like, way too often athletes are criticized for only caring about the money, that the sport has become too much about the money, players prioritizing their contract over their team. And here we have this tournament where guys are clearly prioritizing team and national pride over money. And she was like, basically the prize for winning this, the winning team, the players on the winning team get $50,000, which would be a big deal for some of these guys who are like minor leaguers. But for most of the guy, the major leaguers who are probably standing, we're going to win the title. That's really, you know, nothing. Right. And so like they're doing something where clearly money is not the priority. And like, we're mad about that too. Like you can't have it have it both ways. And it, it's a shame, right? The DS thing is a shame. There's no way to like sugarcoat that. But it, as you said, it's a fluke. I mean, in that game alone, you had Julio Rodriguez laying out in center field on dead run, which is way more dangerous than anything that happened in that celebration. You have Francisco <laughs> right. Lindor running as fast as he possibly can and diving headfirst into home plate. <laughs> that is way more dangerous than what happened. Like it, it's almost hard to quantify how much of a fluke that injury was. Not to mention the fact you have like Gavin Lux on the Dodgers in a spring training game having an equally fluky injury where he was just like going from second to third on a routine play and he tears his ACL. It's just like we can't control for flukes in baseball and in life. We as as humans, I think, are pretty bad at contemplating the what might have happened. You know, for example, maybe Pete Alonso, because he was on the WPC team, wasn't in Port St. Lucie taking a fastball off his hand. Like you never know what might have happened. And it, it's I don't want this to overshadow, you know, how cool this is. Because, like as you said, this is a sport where dumb injuries can happen. Wasn't it just last fall that um, who was it? I think it was Lance McCullers was in a celebration in the Astros locker room and he got a champagne bottle off the elbow and he like missed a World Series start. <laughs> like stupid things can happen, and it's like it's nobody's fault. It's not Diaz's fault, obviously. It's not the tournament's fault. It just it's maybe we're just all trying to express how bummed we are because he is the best closer in baseball. So. There are more interesting things, I think, to talk about, more entertaining things. There's three pitchers I want to talk about in the WBC, although I guess I shouldn't call the first one a pitcher because I wouldn't think Shohei Otani could continue to impress us anymore. And every time I woke up in the morning, it would be like the third inning of the game in Japan, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, he just cracked another one at 115. Surely he can't also be one of the best pitchers in the world. Otani has... <laughs> has brought his game to an incredible new level because I remember, I guess last year, when you could make an argument that maybe he should be in the MVP conversation with Aaron Judge, right? Because Otani had a great year and everybody's like, no, Aaron Judge hit 62 runs, whatever. And a lot of the argument that I, I thought was a poor argument was, well, Otani doesn't play in games that matter because the Angels are never good and there's no pressure, which that's an argument I don't agree with just to begin with. Okay, well, now he's in games that matter to him, certainly. He's in games, certainly for his country that matters. And what's he doing? 
He's hit 438 with an 813 slugging. He, as a pitcher, has a 10 strikeouts and one walk. He has hit four balls over 110 miles as a hitter, and he's thrown eight pitches over 100 miles as a pitcher, including the hardest ever pitch that he has ever thrown. I guess that's how you get a million new Instagram followers, which he apparently has done from people who somehow didn't know who Shohei Otani was, which I appreciate. It's here. I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit. I did pick Japan to win this whole tournament before it started. At the moment, they are 5-0, and and I've outscored their opponents 47-11. to Matt, is there anything further he could do to impress us that hasn't happened yet? Because I'm starting to run out of ways to think of that. Mike, you know, we've done this podcast for a long time. You've heard a lot of my takes. You've also heard a lot of my takes in the office, not on the air. And I have had some bad takes in my day. I think possibly the worst take I've ever had, (laughs) and I'll call myself out on this, was basically, I can't remember what it was, maybe 2019, when I was like, I don't think the pitching thing's going to work out for Otani. He should really just focus on hitting. <laughs> this seems like a waste. Six-man rotation. He can't stay healthy. Like, yeah, I'm going to old takes expose myself and say, like, that was my worst, my worst take because um, it's truly, you know, it's 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 breathtaking. It's spectacular. Um, I'm can't wait to see him play in the, in, the, in the semifinal. I can't wait to see him play this season. It does seem to be like he's. I don't want to say improving. It almost feels like he has actually sort of low. Through his preparation, through his training, he's figured out a way to consolidate his skills in a way that didn't they didn't mesh his first couple of years in the majors. And now it's like, oh no, he's actually the pitcher we wanted him to be and the hitter we wanted him to be. And it's it's remarkable. For what it's worth, when you made that take a couple of years ago, I don't think I pushed back on you very hard. So maybe no one go back and try to listen to that is the, is the right answer here. My favorite thing about the World Baseball Classic every time it comes out is it seems like every year there's some random guy that you've never heard of. And I don't even just mean like American fans only following major leaguers. I, I mean, like nobody internationally has ever heard of. And there were two of those guys that, that has happened so far in this tournament. The one I think most people have heard about by now uh, is from Nicaragua, Nick, uh, Duque Hebert. So he comes out, he's 21 years old, strikes out Juan Soto, strikes out Julio Rodriguez, gives up a double to Manny Machado, which probably should have been caught, strikes out Rafael Devers, and then like 45 minutes later before you know he even leaves the ballpark, he's got himself a contract with the Tigers, which is like the coolest thing. I have no idea what his career is going to be, but to think that in this, the span of, I don't know, what did that inning take, 11 minutes or whatever, his life completely changed based on that and credit to the tigers like i know that they had their scout who was working with the nicaraguan team so they had a little bit of an in and it was reported he'd already been like looking at this guy beforehand so it's not just this outing uh but credit to the tigers for being like on the scene and saying yes we want you we don't know what you're going to be but just strike out three guys like that uh, even though you don't throw that hard he was throwing like 90 but uh he had sliders and changeups moving all over like that's the coolest thing i love learning about these guys and seeing them get their opportunities in ways that like you never would have heard about him if not for this for sure. And I've told the story again. I'll tell it briefly here. Former podcast guest Pete Moylan, 2006 World Baseball Classic, which I covered, was discovered in the first in the pool play there where no one knew who he was. He comes in, he's throwing 96, which at the time was basically as fast as, as humans threw in 2006. And he struck out Bob Abreu, Marco Scutaro, Ramon Hernandez, and Maglio Ordonez. And the Braves signed him. And he went on to have like a good, a good career as a relief pitcher. Like that, I mean, how do you, how do you pronounce it? Is it, it's it, Hebert, how do you pronounce his last name? Hebert. Hebert? Uh, like, uh, I, I thought it was Dookie Hebert, but now I'm not 100% sure. He's not throwing 96, but his changeup was like legit. Like the like the the bottom fell out of it when he struck out Soto. Um, so there's something there, the, the velo. But then again, now teams can just teach guys to throw like eight miles an hour faster. So 
who knows guys who knows the sky could be the limit the other guy who stood out to me was a pitcher for great britain uh michael peterson so he's 28 years old never heard of him and he's apparently with a with the rockies on march 11th he came out and he threw 17 pitches against the u.s nine of nine fastballs all of them were between 99 and 101 he struck out nolan arenado on three pitches and i remember being like who is he's on the rockies how like how have i never heard of this 28 year old who was throwing 101 and apparently what happened is um due to uh, tommy john surgery and the pandemic when he went and pitched in that game it was his first game action in more than three years except for like one rookie league appearance last year he basically been hurt there was no minor league season he just has not pitched in like three years and all of a sudden he's out there striking out one of the best hitters on the planet and he's not looking for a team obviously he's already been with the rockies but that certainly kind of put him on the the national radar, I think. And I don't know where he's going to land. I don't know if he'll get to the Rockies this season. There's certainly room for good pitching there, you know, if you think he can do it. Um, but that's the kind of guy too, where it's like now I've learned about two guys I wouldn't have thought about before. Which I, I, that's half the fun here, I think. For sure, no question. And I mean, one on one, you can't you can't fake one on one. So curious to see where yeah. he lands. All right, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back and get to our three batter minimum and start with what the Mets are gonna do now. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We're going to move into our three batter minimum, three interesting topics for the week. The first one is very obviously. So what are the Mets going to do now? Losing Edwin Diaz for the season is just, it's an enormous blow. There's no way to overstate how important he is. He's not just a ninth inning guy who piles up saves. He had uh, came into the season, and he still will for a while, I guess, have 399 and a third career innings. With two more outs, he would have made it to 400 innings, and he would have had the highest strikeout rate of all time minimum 400 innings remember they just signed him to a five-year 102 million dollar contract and i was reading uh jay jaffe of fangraphs this morning he was comparing the projections before and after they drop their relief pitcher projections from fourth best to 19th best their playoff odds drop from 82 percent to 78 percent i think that last number is important they're still a very good team right i will likely still pick them to win a wild card but when you look at their pitching staff you know scherzer's older Verlander's older, Kodai Senga, you know, unclear what his transition is going to be like. Uh, Jose Quintana is now out for probably about half the season after, um, you know, I had a rib, a rib issue um, that required a biopsy. And all of a sudden you look at the bullpen and it's like, that Amadavino, the best reliever they have, David Robertson, is like, I get 
even though I don't agree with Mets fans on all their takes about the WBC, I certainly understand why they're so devastated because this is a tremendous blow uh, in a tough division because the Braves and Phillies are still quite good. Yeah, I think there's a few a few different ways to look at this, and it's really hard to to kind of wrap wrap one's head around it. I think because, as you said, I'm of two minds of it. Like on one hand, he is the best reliever in baseball, and I do think that beyond just his ability, I do think that there is a a real intangible value to what he brings in that like he changes the way other managers have to manage the game because it's almost like, oh, we know the Mets have him waiting. We have to sort of have more urgency. Like we're not going to score in the ninth inning. It changes everything you do. And like that, there's like a, a chain of events that he can create that increases the Mets chance, just his presence increases the Mets chance of winning any given game. On the flip side, Diaz or no Diaz, the easiest type of pitcher to acquire in season is good relief pitcher. Like just last season, we saw Josh Hader get traded in the middle of the season. And Josh Hader is not as good as Edwin Diaz right now. But two years ago, he was better than Edwin Diaz and was kind of the the level. He had, he had a, a period where he was about as dominant as Edwin Diaz is right now. And he looked pretty good down the stretch. So I think if you want to see it from like the silver lining standpoint, from not silver lining, but like what, what, I'm, not, what I'm looking for, there's no real silver linings here. But if you want to feel like we can overcome this as a Mets fan. It's like, okay, we can acquire dominant relief pitching midseason, or maybe we catch lightning in bottle with a one of our one of our young guys pops, or like, you know, or we sign like a Zach Britton and he catch lightning in a bottle and he kind of recaptures some of his old magic. Like there's ways to kind of like build back up that bullpen. You can't replace Diaz. I mean, honestly, frankly, I think Diaz being out for the season is almost worse for baseball as a whole than it is for the Mets. Just like he's one of the the players players you pay to see he's like his entrances are exciting his he's electric on the mound and like we as a baseball world lose so much by that not being there the Mets they can't fully replace it but I think there are ways to fill the void and still be a legitimate World Series contender yeah I think that's mostly right you might be right that they can trade for somebody but then that means that maybe this injury cost them you know Mark Vientos or, or whoever they end up having to trade Brett Beatty or whatever like that's that's a big blow if that's the cost to try to replace him down the road. I think it's not so much for me about making the playoffs. I think if Scherzer and Verlander give you, I don't know, 380 innings or whatever of very good pitching, they'll make the playoffs. For me, it's about what happens when you get to the postseason, right? Because like there are very few uh, big spot shutdown relievers like Edwin Diaz. You get to the eighth inning, the game is over, you know, or sometimes even, you know, earlier if, if they want to use him for like an inning a third. I don't know that there's anybody else like that. And Yes, David Robertson has experience, but he's going to be 38 years old. So it's like, sure, they'll get to the postseason. I really believe they will. But how much does this hurt them trying to proceed past the first round? I think that's that's where this is really going to show. Yeah, no question. But then again, you look at last year, right? Like the Phillies made the World Series with a bullpen that everyone thought was terrible. The year before, the Braves, like they get to October, like they suddenly just like have this amazing bullpen. Just like the, you, you kind of have to just hope that some of that is just like if you're the Mets, it's like, hey, we'll get there and and – and hope for the best because that's one of those things that happens, you know, in in baseball every year. Let me pose a question to you because I've been thinking about this and I'm, I don't know where I, where I stand on it. If you were looking at the Mets roster and you had to say, like, which would be the most devastating player to lose for the full season? Where would you rank Diaz? Um, Like fifth, maybe? I think I'm putting the two ace starting pitchers first and second, right? Because they're irreplaceable. Lindor. Nimo Diaz, maybe something like that. So you put Diaz above. You put Diaz above Alonso. You, no, maybe. It'd be close. 
it's I think it's an interesting question because I also I mean you also look around the landscape of the league right and like I mean this is sort of where like you know the the woe is me of like Mets fans and I count myself among Mets fans by the way like I think some of the woe is me there's just like exceptionalism amongst a certain group of Mets fans who think that their their like pain and misfortune is way worse than all other teams it's like sometimes you got to get over yourself like two years ago the Braves lost Acuna for basically the whole season and they won the World Series you just kind of have to figure it out right like ten years ago. The Yankees lost Mario Rivera running in the outfield, like a similar fluke infield in the first week of May. Out for the year, they still won 95 games and went to the ALCS. It's like sometimes you just kind of have to figure it out. Like this this happens. Like Harper is going to be out for half the year for the Phillies. I mean, Carlos Rodon, I don't know when he's going to pitch again, but like he could be out two more weeks. He could be out a long time. Carlos Rodon, he got a bigger contract than Edwin Diaz this offseason, if that tells you like how the industry values their respective their respective skills. So there's there's a little bit about this that's like, okay, you got to figure it out. I mean, there are trade options out there. I'm fascinated. The one I'm like, I mentioned this to you beforehand, which is like the ultimate narrative move would be for the Mets to trade for Alexis Diaz to like come in and like fill his brother's shoes. Like he was a crying on the mound. I mean, like how amazing would the narrative be? He's not as good as his brother, but man, he was really good last year. And like, what are the, what are the rebuilding Reds need with like he's an amazing trade chip. I'm not saying like they should give him away, to be clear. Like I think that like they could probably get one of the Mets good prospects in a trade package if they trade Alexis Diaz. But like that is from a narrative standpoint, this is what I I'm rooting for this now more than anything this season. Yeah, th- this will be me giving away how little late inning Reds baseball I watched last year. But I, I knew Alexis Diaz was Edwin's brother. I didn't realize until I saw him pitch in the WBC game how much he looks like Edwin. You know, like <laughs> you put him you put him on the Mets in the Mets uniform and it's like, hey, may- maybe that is Edwin. I want to throw out a name because it's because I want to be the first to say it. People are like, who could they trade for? Yeah, Alexis Diaz for sure. I've seen Daniel Bard because the Rockies aren't going anywhere. I don't think they're going to trade Daniel Bard. Scott Barlow, maybe, because the Royals are, are probably not going to be that good. I want to throw out a name because I seem to be alone in thinking this team is not actually going to be any good. Kenley Jansen. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be any good this year. Kenley Jansen is 30, I don't know, mid-30s, right? I, I, I think I've said this before. The Red Sox have built a roster where they have a lot of veteran guys who are going to be incredible trade candidates if the team doesn't go anywhere. You know, Justin Turner, Chris Martin, all these kind of guys, Corey Kluber, Kenley Jansen of the Mets in July. I want everybody to remember you heard it here first because I don't think the Red Sox are going to be that good. All right, our second topic. Which losing team will get to the playoffs? I had a vague idea in my mind the other day when I looked this up. They're like, hey, I think like every year a team that had a blow 500 record last year makes the playoffs. And it was true. I didn't realize how often it's happened. Did you realize this has happened for 17 consecutive seasons that at least one team coming off a losing record has made the playoffs? Over the last 35 years, you go back to 1987, it has happened 33 times. Only in 1992 and 2005, it did not. That's 72 teams. Just last year, the Mets, the Padres, the Guardians got into the playoffs after having a losing record the year before. This is a little easier than worst to first, right? I'm not demanding that you were the worst team, but just like, Going from a losing record towards making the playoffs happens so much more than I thought. And it should be easier to do now that time goes on and there's more and more playoff teams. It was hard to do when there are only four playoff teams. Now there's a lot of playoff teams. And so I thought that was interesting. And I looked and said, well, okay, there's there's 14 teams last year who had losing records. I'm not going to name them all. You can probably guess them. A lot of them will continue to have losing records. I don't think anybody thinks the, the A's or the Nationals or the Rockies or the Reds are going to get into the playoffs. But what I did was, went to Fangraphs, 
and I looked at everybody's playoff odds for this year and I said, okay, of those 14 losing teams, seven of them have odds above 10%. And while I don't want to say that this is like any sort of predictive thing, when it happens 17 straight years, I feel pretty safe in saying it'll probably happen this year. So who's it going to be? And I was very pleased at the projection numbers because if you'd asked me to take these seven teams and rank them by like what order I think are, are likely to get into the playoffs, the numbers did a great job. Okay, I'm going to give you the seven in order here. Twins, Angels, Rangers, Red Sox, Marlins, Diamondbacks, Cubs. Those are the seven losing teams with odds of at least 10%. And I am kind of getting sucked into the whole Twins experience this year. Maybe it's like the new uniforms. I really more than I did at the time, like the uh, Luisa Rise for Pablo Lopez trade. That's going to be great. I love the depth they've built. I like Michael Taylor as a backup to uh, to Byron Buxton. I, I think the Twins are going to, I don't want to say win the division because that's a tough thing to say, but they're going to be my team. I trust them more than any of these other teams. It, it makes it makes perfect sense, and it also makes sense like the numbers, you know, the, the eye test matches the numbers in this case, right? It's, it's a, a, a division that's not that strong. Many people thought they were going to be really good last year. They were disappointing for a variety of reasons. They seem to have done a nice job of, you know, as you said, bringing Lopez to shore up the rotation. Obviously, Buxton's always like the X factor. Like, can Buxton play like 120 games, right? Like 130 games. Like, but um, it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, I think the one that kind of looking at this, going down the list, like the Angels next makes makes sense, right? Like for all the reasons we've discussed, they made a lot of like. Signed a bunch of average dudes to kind of raise their floor surrounding Trout and Otani. Makes perfect sense. I'm just like, I'm not really feeling the Marlins. Like, I know the the schedule's changed. They won't have the have to play the Mets, Phillies, and Braves as many times, but they also want to play the Nationals as much. I'm just not feeling the Marlins. I I I would put the, in my in my eye test, I put them behind the D-backs and even the Cubs. Oh, I don't know about the Cubs, but I'm with, I'm with you. I'd put them behind the Diamondbacks. Um, the Marlins play in a tougher division, I think, because there's three good teams, whereas the West only really has two good teams. And yeah, they, they made their lineup different, but I'm not convinced they made it that much better. And I know they made their defense worse, and I know they made their starting pitching weaker by trading Lopez. I'm with I'm with you on the Marlins. Like they're, I, I think I've made this joke before. Considering how weak the Nationals are going to be, the Marlins are like the fourth placeiest team that you could possibly come up with in that division. That being said, I will now like these numbers make me want to look under the hood on the Marlins a little bit more because I kind of want to see like, okay, what are the numbers seeing that maybe my eye test is missing? So this is one thing that I really like about looking at projections when they do deviate because now suddenly I'm like more interested in their roster and looking a little deeper to see what maybe there might be something that I'm missing. Is this the year that this streak breaks? Will this be the first time in 17 years that we don't see a losing team go to the playoffs? No, I think as you said, like with now with the this should happen every year now with the with the six well yeah. six playoff teams and, and it'd almost be more surprising if it if it didn't, frankly. Like with 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 that many playoff teams, there this should happen. Yeah. And what I liked about this is so I looked at the seven teams that have the best odds here, and the first four of them, Twins, Angels, Rangers, Red Sox, are all American League teams. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense because I'm going to have a really hard time twisting myself to not just pick the same six National League teams that we saw last year. Like they seem pretty clearly at the class of it. Whereas this, it's like, well, I, I could see one of the American, I could see Cleveland not making it. I could see Seattle maybe not getting in the wild card. Like American League seems like the place to be. I, I don't know what to make of the East. Like the East changes every day. But I, I guarantee you, at least one of these teams is going to happen because I want it to now. 17 years in a row is a cool story. Let's make it 18. All right, our third topic. Last week at Baseball Savant, we put out a pretty cool new metric that I hope you had a chance to look at. 
It was evaluating the skill of catchers in blocking, right? We talk about framing a lot. We talk about throwing out base runners while they're catchers. Let's talk about catching. Uh, and to be clear, like we are not the first ones to ever do this, but some of the other metrics are either not public um, or don't have the same kind of features and the visuals and everything that you can get here. Uh, this is the model was created by Tom Tango, who you know works with us. And um, I, I asked him, I said, Tom, how long have you been thinking about this? Like you've been writing about baseball stats for decades. Like when when did you first start writing about this? And he digs me up a link from 2003, and he's like, I don't think this was the first one. So I'm like, yeah, you've been thinking about this for a while. I'm glad the data is finally here to support it. So it's pretty cool. At basically every single pitch that's a blockable opportunity, that's not every pitch, obviously. Sometimes the batter hits the ball or is hit by the ball or there's no base runners on base and the pass ball doesn't matter in the first place. So every blockable opportunity gets uh, you know an expected block probability based on all the things you would think. Like, where did the pitch go? Is it in the dirt? Is it middle, middle? You know, How fast was it? What kind of movement was it? Where was the catcher located? Uh, was the batter left-handed, right-handed? All, all of these things that go into the soup that you would expect then you can say, okay, well, this pitch was expected to be blocked 20% of the time or 90% of the time. Obviously, if a guy does it, he gets that credit. If he misses it, he misses the commensurate credit. And every time we do one of these new metrics, the first thing I say is, great, I want to see the leaderboard. I, want, I need to know that the guys I think are good should at least be sort of near the top. Like I'm not just trying to match the eye test here. And then we saw that Adley Rutschman was going to be number one. And I was like, yes, I can sell something with Adley Rutschman number one, which is super cool. You think about all the reasons the Orioles turned their season around last year. Yes, because he came up and he hit. And he was a good framer. Um, but we have him as the number one blocker in baseball ahead of guys I think you'll like. Jose Trevino, J2 Ramuto, Sean Murphy, Alejandro Kirk, and Tomas Nito. And then you look at the other end, and it's like, MJ Melendez is starting in the outfield for Kansas City this year. I, got, I guess that makes sense. Uh, Gary Sanchez is not a highly regarded blocker. So it's cool because I think this is a thing that like baseball people have talked about forever. And now there's an easy number to get to. And you can play with it on Baseball Savant and run with the cool visualizations that uh, Dana Bennett made and put numbers on each one of them. I'm pretty excited about it. I think people are going to like this. And um, yeah, it's, when, just, when, it's an underrated part of catching, I think. For sure. And I think what, a couple of things that stand out to me about it, it's like there are certain catchers who have these reputations for being great defensive catchers who get to play over and over again. And sometimes you're like, how good of a defensive catcher could he be? Like, man, this guy really shouldn't play anymore. And you could still make this argument about, say, like Austin Hedges, but like, you know what? Austin Hedges shows up at the top of this leaderboard for two straight years. So like there is something that guy is doing right that like matches up with what people have been saying about him for so many years. Speaking of Hedges, one thing I I also noticed when you kind of eyeball the leaderboards, we've only, I guess, two, it goes back to 2020, this does, although 2020 was an incomplete season. So the two full seasons we have, 21 and 22, you see like the same names pop up at the top and at the bottom. You see, you know, Sean Murphy, Jose Trevino, Austin Hedges, like uh, these uh, JT Ramuto. These are guys who are top ten, top fifteen players in both years. So it's like this seems to be a a, a skill with some 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 consistency to it. Yeah, you, I mean, you better see the same guys <laughs> most years, or otherwise, this thing might be just measuring something that's randomness. Well, well, I mean, I think that the the point is that like you know there are some stats like we you know like based on batting average and batting average on balls in play where you see huge variance in results for for certain players in a given year. And you wonder with pitching, you know, like one year you may have a, a, a staff of like, you know, wild sign arbors. One year you might have a, you know, a, uh, a staff of soft tossing, so, soft tossing lefties to the extent that those guys still exist. But like, so you could, you, you, you do wonder how much variance you'll see. And that's one of the things I'll be interested to watch from year to year is seeing how much variance we see and also how much guys can improve at it, right? Is this something that you can like 
vis- visibly like I'm curious now that that the data is available. And my guess is on the team side, teams have had versions of this probably for a while. Like how actionable it is. Like, oh, you're I'm bad at this. How do I get better at it? Oh, I need to work at balls on like low to my arm side. I really need to focus on doing this. And like, how much better can I get at this? Yeah, you know what I want to do next, and this will take some time to get to, is separate catchers by one knee catching and not because that's like the trend over the last couple of years. And, and when it started, there were old school guys like, oh, I catch with one knee down. What is this? That's not how we caught. And now I think more catchers do it than not. And I'd love to really be able to show like what the impact of that is. Uh, the other thing that's cool, by the way, is since this is there, you can flip it around and look at it from the pitcher's point of view. And do you know what pitcher got victimized by weak blocking more than anybody else over the last three years? Shohei Otani. I always want Otani on top of the leaderboard. This is not how I expected we would get there. And David Adler wrote about this and it was pretty interesting. And, you know, the catchers on the Angels weren't great, but they were definitely uh, weaker for Otani than anybody else. And it's like, is it cross ups? Is it because Otani's stuff is so nasty? Is it because he starts making up new pitches in the middle of the season? Like, it's that was really funny to me to see it's Otani more than anybody else. On top of the list. So please go check that out at baseballsavant.com. Um, it's super fun. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about stolen bases this spring. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. Uh, The final thing we want to talk about as we are coming up on the opening day is you start looking at the rule changes. And one of the things that's been most interesting is the increase in stolen bases this spring. And so uh, Matt and I had spent a little bit of time this morning looking into it. And then our pal Jason Collette just went ahead and tweeted it right out anyway. So we'll give him credit and look at his numbers. Uh, He compared 
last year spring training and this year spring training through about the same point in the spring so roughly 570 games in each season and what he what he found was this year there were 513 stolen bases and last year there were 300 stolen bases and that's a pretty big difference um if you, you he pointed out the dodgers have attempted one stolen base in 18 games last year the year before it was five this year it's 12 that's something i think it's exceedingly clear that there will be more stolen base attempts this year and that success will be up. What's not super clear to me is how much of what we're seeing this spring is going to be applicable, right? How much of it is just guys saying, well, there's no real downside if I get thrown out. It's a spring training game. I'm just going to try it. I'm going to see what it feels like. I'm going to be more aggressive. How much of it is that, I don't know, JT Laredo and Martin Maldonado are at the WBC and there's lesser catchers trying to throw these guys out. You know, these are all sort of unknown things, but I think the, uh, the initial takeaway is, Yes, it's going to be up, might be up a lot in April, and then it might like trend down a little bit after that, yet still up over previous years. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I mean, usually, you know, usually like when things happen, like there's always more steal attempts in the minors for those same reasons, because like players are just like working on the skill, wins and losses are not as important. So there's more steal attempts every year. You'll see guys steal 67 bases in a 60 or 70 bases in a season in the minors nowadays, which you don't really see in the minors. But like you can kind of build a little context because like you, you know like oh they they like when steals went up we could say well steals went up like I think it was like twenty five thirty percent in the minors with these rules so it's like maybe we'll see probably not as quite of a jump but maybe close to it or another way to look at it is like last year in the majors there were one point three six stolen base attempts per year previous last year spring training there was one point five so it was like a little bit less than there were in spring training. Um, but still pretty close. So, like, if we're getting 2.3 stolen base attempts in spring training this year, are we going to get two per game in regular season games this year? Like, that's kind of what I think we might get to. That's 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 going to be the number that I'm yeah. Like, what do you think? What would you take on the the? I, I'll set the over under at 1.9. What are you taking? Well, attempts or successes? What were you saying there? Attempts. Right now, the Attempt. right now okay. last, this year in spring training, attempts are at 2.3. Last year. They were at 1.5 in spring training. And then during the season last year, they were 1.36 per game. I will give you a 1.75. Okay. I could see that. I could see it. And I, honestly, like, stolen bases are fun. This is part of what the new rules are for. People, fans have been surveyed. They say they like stolen bases. And when I was talking to someone I know who works for a team at the winter meetings, I was like, what do you guys think about the new rules? He was like, we think steals are going to be up. And, like, he's like, I think that's what fans are going to notice most. So, what, you know, like... I think that's a good thing, you know? So, well, I guess we'll, we will find out soon enough. Opening day is 13 days away as we record this. So I'm super excited about this. Like, I really do want to see the impact here. I'm going to throw cold water, I think, on one strategy I've seen being kicked around. I keep seeing people talking about back picks, right? So if you don't don't know what that is, it's the catcher receives the ball and then tries to pick the runner off of first base. And the reason this has come up is because they're not legislated. There's no number, right? This does not count towards the disengagement rule. Catcher can throw a back pick 100 times a game if he wants. And so I've seen people and catchers who are good at it, like Wilson Contreras, saying, yeah, great, I'm going to back pick all the time. I don't know if I buy it because doesn't it feel like the success rate for back picks is pretty low and the risk is really high? Like if you if you have a poor throw or the first baseman's not paying attention, all of a sudden the ball is down the right field line and the guy is at least one base and maybe two. And I don't think it's going to take a lot of disasters for catchers, maybe aside from Contreras, so I think it's very good at this, to say, uh, this isn't worth my risk. Like, I, I'm not so convinced that that's going to be like a new thing that's going to be happening nonstop this year. 
not only that, like you still have to worry about the pitch clock, right? So it's like this is this is this is this is time that, that you have to you have to account for. So so I'm with you. I'm with you 100 on this. We might see a slight uptick in back picks and the threat of the back pick. You might I bet you see a lot more fake back picks. Is what I think we're going to see a lot more of, like the the bring the arm back just to keep the, keep the guy on us. But I think as far as the actual throws, the increase will be the increase will be minimal. The other factor that comes into play, and this remains to be seen, is how much. This far in spring training, we've seen a huge increase in batting average on balls in play. I don't know how much that, be, and some of that's being attributed to shift restrictions. If we do actually see a notable increase on batting average on balls in play, I'm not sure it's going to be huge because it wasn't huge in the minors, but that does incentivize steal. If there's more, if singles are more of a thing, there's more of a reason to steal because then you get more benefit of your stolen base if you're more likely to get follow up with a single. Part of the reason steals went away is because it was like, oh, there's a lot fewer singles. And it's like, there's not much benefit for me to steal when like the best chance of me scoring is probably on a home run or a ball in the gap anyway. But if singles are up, steals will continue to rise with them. And so it'll be interesting to see how those two things interact. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I was also reading Billy Hamilton the other day. So elite speedster, right? He's been around a couple of teams. He's in camp with the White Sox. And he was asked like, yeah, you're going to steal a lot more bases this year, right? It's like, well, I'm going to try to. I think the rule changes and the, the larger bases and everything. He's like, one thing I've noticed is that when I'm on the base and I'm watching the pitcher, I can't see the pitch time, right? Because it's beyond center field for the batter and it's behind home plate for the pitcher. And it's like, if I look behind home plate to see it, I'm going to get picked off. So I might need my bench to start counting down for me so that I can hear it. And now I'm starting to wonder, is this going to turn into like college basketball kind of, uh, we're going to call out the wrong numbers to mess with the guy because he thinks the 24 second clock is over, which for the record, I don't think would be a bad thing. Like, I don't care if fans try to mess with other guys that way. I think that would be very funny, but it's sort of like, is that sort of an unintended consequence of a very funny way to try to get involved in the game is to mess with guys in that way? kind of hope so. I mean... Just wait until the postseason, right? You've seen this. We've seen this in the NBA with like when Giannis is at the foul line, he's slow and fans start counting to get in his head. Like if they know certain pitchers or hitters are, are antsy about getting in and out of the box, like we're going to, we're going to, this is going to, this is going to become a thing in baseball. Like this is just, just you wait, just you wait. Oh, I can't wait. I, I kind of hope that's true. And then maybe we can see which fan bases are better at it. And then maybe we can apply, <laughs> I don't know, wins above replacement to fan bases in some way. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.